Well, good morning, family. So good to be here this morning. I encourage you to take your Bibles out and open to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. It's a psalm, as it says right there in the inscription above the psalm, it says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. This was a song written for the the Sabbath day. It's a song for church day. And so how appropriate here as we gather in the Lord's house this day, or if you're, some of you are gathering with us virtually from home, we come together to this song. And so let's, let's join in prayer as we open the word, the Lord's word. Father, we are grateful this morning. What a blessed privilege to come together, to come together as your people, to come together as a local assembly, a local church, to visit together to enjoy company together, to be encouraged, to be refreshed, but especially to come to you, to meet with you here, to come to your word and now to hear from you, for you speak through your word. So may we be, we have receptive hearts and may you encourage us and and teach us and instruct us and draw us near this morning as we listen to your word. We commit ourselves, we commit uh, those not only here in this room, but those watching online to you. Ask your grace and blessing upon each one. We do have a number of our folks who are ill right now, who are sick. We ask your hand of healing upon them and... Father, now may you, may you encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. It is good, it says in verse 1, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Worship is good. Worshiping God is a good and right thing to do. We know that. We know that we are supposed to give praise to God. We are supposed to honor Him. He is the Most High and He deserves our praises. Psalm 65 verse 1 says that praise is due to you, O God. A couple of psalms over from this in Psalm 96 verse 8, it says that uh, ascribe to the Lord the honor or the glory that is due to His name. Worship is owed to God. It is due to Him. And that's why many of us are here today. We come to give Him His due. We come to give what is our duty, in a sense. To We are fulfilling our duty, giving honor and glory to God. It's something that is good and right. But if we look closer, that's really not what this psalm is saying. If we look closer, we notice that this psalm is not addressed to us. Notice we said it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. All of this song, all of this psalm is addressed to God. Some psalms are, are written to us as instruction, as encouragement. Some psalms are here to teach us. Others, like this, are written directly to God. 
This psalm is not here as an instruction telling us that worship is a good thing that we are supposed to do. It's not giving instructions. Church, worship God. Because it's the right thing to do. It's not what it's saying. Instead, it is saying, it is a song of worship from us to God, and it's us saying to God, God, it's a good thing for us to be here. In other words, Worship is a good gift. It is a blessing to us. Last week in Psalm 86, we were learning to be better prayers. Not in in a psalm that was instructions about how to pray, but it was a prayer. It was a prayer of David as he prayed to God. David, a master prayer. And we listened in and we learned how to pray better by learning from someone who prayed very praise very well. Today, in this psalm of praise to God, we, we come and learn how to be better worshipers. Not by instruction, it telling us what to do, but as we observe this psalm of worship. It is my prayer, my desire this morning that we learn to be better worshipers. And especially that we learn... The joy of worship. That worship is a good thing. It is a deep blessing. I hope that it is for you what it is for me. On Sunday mornings, I look forward to being in church. I miss it when we're not here. I miss it when we are not gathered together and worshiping together. But as we'll see this morning, it's even more than that. We want to learn this morning the joy of worship. In so doing, we're going to first notice three tips for worshiping well and then learn three great reasons why we should worship, why we do worship. Look at verse 2, if you would. He just said it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name. And he says, he continues, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. As we noted in the inscription, this song was designed to be sung on the Sabbath day, on their day of worship, on church day. But this song, the worship it describes here, isn't just church worship. Notice it describes there a day that begins with worship. To declare your steadfast love in the morning. In other words, it's describing first thing in the morning, maybe even before your feet hit the floor, that we begin to declare and to speak of the Lord's steadfast love. The word there in Hebrew is hesed. It's a, a love that God has promised and faithful love to His covenant people. It's saying that on that morning, before our feet even hit the floor, we're in our mind going, God is a good and faithful God. God, thank you. You're good and faithful. We don't know what the day is going to hold for us, do we? Ever. We never know what any day is going to, is going to hold. We may get down to the breakfast table and the milk is sour. We go out to the car and the battery's dead. <laughs> Tires are flat. We never know when we're going to get a phone call that changes our life. 
good or bad. We never know what our day will hold. But this is saying we wake up in the morning and we remember God is a good God. God is, His love is faithful. It's steadfast. And I don't know what my day holds, but I know who holds my day. As the old song said. What a great way to begin a day. Then when our feet hit the floor, we're honoring and praising God because I've got feet. I've got breath in my lungs. And so we begin our day. Then it describes worship at the end of the day. We talk, speak of His faithfulness by night. So that at the end of the day, we go back and we review the day. We rehearse, we talk through God's faithfulness throughout the day. Today, God, you did this. Today, God, you did that. Thank you. That was awesome. What a wonderful gift you gave today, Lord, with this. But the implication is not just that worship is a bookend that began the day and ended the day, but the implication is that worship is something that happened all through the day. What a horrible tendency it is for us to relegate worship to an hour on Sunday morning or an hour and 15 minutes when the pastor goes long. And so we come in and we sing our songs and we listen and we read Scripture and we hear a message and we go home and, well, we worshiped. But what this psalm says is that worship begins our day and it ends our day and it happens all the way in the middle. All day long we strive constantly to, to note that every time that there's a problem, we don't just work through our problems, we, we take it to the Lord right then. That's an act of worship. Lord, I bring to you my need. Here's a need. Here's a problem. And we note, the, we note all through the day the blessings. The blessings that so typically we neglect and we forget and we just fail to even acknowledge. When we're there in the parking lot and we're trying to find a place and they're all taken and then somebody backs out. Thank you, Lord. A parking space. When we're running late and we're wondering, oh no, just running late and the light turns green. It's a blessing. Do you stop and turn that into worship? Say, thank you, Lord, for that that green light. When... Someone gives an encouraging word that you weren't expecting. They just say something nice. Lord, thank you. What a wonderful gift. When that little kid comes up and gives you a hug and you go, wow, God, thank you. I needed a hug. How many blessings. They come by the hundreds every day. A cool breeze when it's 100 degrees outside and just a little cool breeze comes and you go, thank you, Lord. Or air conditioning. Thank you, Lord. You see, there are thousands of gifts that we receive every day. And every one of them, James reminds us, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, coming down from the Father of lights. See, they're gifts from God. And they are opportunities to worship if we will simply avail ourselves of that opportunity. And I think that really is what is, is here in this psalm when it says that we begin with morning with thinking about God's loving kindness and we end the day re- reflecting on His, 
His faithfulness. And it should be all the way through the day we are worshiping God all day, every day. Not just on Sunday. It's taking worship beyond the walls. Beyond an hour on Sunday. And it's making our lives a life of worship. It's living a lifestyle of worship. That's, I think, what is described here. It goes on in verse 3. And this worship, he's saying, is to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. To worship well, we need to learn to worship beyond the walls, a lifestyle of worship, and we need to use music. Break out the instruments and sing. Music is a gift that God has given to us to enjoy, but it's also a tool that He has given to us to employ, to utilize. And the best and highest use of music is to use it in worship of God. And so break out the instruments and sing. You, you say, well, I don't play any instruments. <laughs> well, you can play the radio. You can play the, you know, the CD player. You can play the the iTunes on your phone or whatever. And you say, and I don't sing very well. Well, if you got a car, roll the windows up. <laughs> Nobody can sing. You can sing to your heart's content and belt it out and they can't hear. You look funny going down the street, but you look funny anyway, so. <laughs> you know, music is a wonderful thing. I mentioned it's a tool for us to employ. Music unites us. What a wonderful thing. We come together from, from all different backgrounds and all different things going on in our days and our lives and our homes. And we come here and one of the things that unites us is we sing together. It's one of the purposes of congregational singing is to bring us together so that we're all doing the same thing at the same time, lifting the same thoughts and same concerns and same praises up to God. It unites us. Music is a great tool in worship because it expresses our hearts and our emotions and our thoughts in ways that mere words cannot do. Music is a great tool in worship because music influences us. It influences our attitudes. It influences our emotions. It even influences our actions. That makes it a very powerful thing. Music also instructs. In other words, music helps us learn. I was thinking this week how often if you ever are, are sitting there alphabetizing something, you're trying to think through where does this letter fall? Or if you ever get somebody, this is really fun, when you get somebody, you know, uh, where does this go? And you watch them as they work through the alphabet. And you'll notice almost everybody as they work through the alphabet, they'll do it A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T. Why do they do that? Because they learned the song. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Have you noticed how easily we learn things to music? And so music needs to be part of our worship. Now it is an integral part of, and a big part of our corporate worship here together. But as we've just seen, this psalm is, is leading us into personal worship that is a lifestyle of worship. And I wonder, is music part of your personal worship? It needs to be because 
it maybe doesn't unite you when it's just personal, but it, it expresses our emotions in ways words cannot. It influences and changes our emotions and our thoughts, and it helps us learn. We need to be using music in our worship. Good music, I don't care what the style is, but music that teaches us truth and that teaches us Scripture. So many of us say, I can never memorize Scripture, I can't memorize anything, but we memorize songs, even without trying. And so use music to help you learn truth and make it part of your thought and part of your life. Use music. Even consider this, not only just listen to music, not only just sing with your windows rolled up, (laughs) maybe even write your own song. Oh, I could never do that. Well, it's just between you and God. You do your best and he, you know, just like the kid with the crayon drawing that they hand you, you go, that's awesome, you know. You write a horrible song, but it comes from your heart and God goes, that's awesome. But what it does, it helps us put thoughts into words and say and and express things to God that without those tools we really wouldn't do and couldn't do. Worship with music. Thirdly, look at verse 4. He says, For you, O God, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. This is a psalm of joy. And it's I'm saying here, this third tip is worship enthusiastically. You know, it is a tragedy when so often we not only restrict worship to an hour a week when we come to church, but I see so many folks who often come to church, and it's not at this church, of course, but I see folks often come to church and they sing like this. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above. Gratefully sing. I grew up a Cowboys fan. Uh, grew up in Texas, of course, and uh, everybody was a Cowboys fan. And it was in the days when football was good. <laughs> and the coach was Tom Landry. Those of us old folks, you know Tom, you may remember him, one of the most innovative and successful and greatest coaches ever. One thing Tom Landry was known for was... His game face. Literally, his expression never changed. Quarterback got sacked. They scored a touchdown. They won the game. Don't be Tom Landry in worship. It worked for him in football. Because his mind was 100% engaged in what was needed to be done next, not what just happened. Worship is about reflecting on what happened as well as what's coming. And it's all about expressing our, our heart to God. So worship enthusiastically. The King James here rightly translates this verse that what it says here that I sing for joy. We think, well, I sing, and most of us sing like this. But the real word there, the King James says, I triumph. You see, what the word is, it's a victory shout. That's what it should be, a victory shout. It's what we do when the Cardinals score a home run. Yeah! 
When was the last time you did that in worship? Why not? People think I'm charismatic. Well, let them. See, the reality is, my friends, there is a time to be somber in worship. There's a time to be respectful and honoring. There is a time to be silent. There is a time to be to mourn. A time to be sad. All of those are appropriate in worship, but there are times to rejoice. And there are times to shout. And there are times to shout out, praise God! And we don't do that enough. We ought to do it more. A couple of weeks ago, our brother Dave Richter, who used to live here and they moved away and we miss him. Still, it's been probably a decade since they moved away. But I miss that man for one reason. He was an enthusiastic worshiper. And you know what? He encouraged the rest of us to be a little more enthusiastic. He was here visiting a couple of weeks ago, sitting right up there. And he's, amen. Yes. (laughs) Let loose every once in a while. I realize that's just too dramatic for some of us. Some of us were raised, you know, Presbyterian-like. So maybe it's just a little fist bump, you know. (laughs) you know stretch your comfort zone a little bit yes praise God smile even try that let's have some enthusiastic worship it'll do us good are you grumpy and grouchy are you a complainer are you critical are you depressed are you fearful fretful I believe that if we would start putting these into practice, to be, to, to start creating a lifestyle of worship, a regular thought process and actions of worship, and we build that into our day, and we build music into our day, and we start getting at least just a little excited about some of the things God did here and did there, and we give thanks and we do that, I think it'll change our attitude. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. Starting to put it into practice already. I think we need to do that. Hey, we laugh more. The whole room just brightened up because everybody's laughing. And everybody's getting excited. We need to do that. Yes. It will dramatically reshape our attitudes, I think. I think we will discover that we have more peace in our life and less stress. I think we will discover that that we are experiencing greater joy in life and less sadness and depression. I think that we will find that we are more satisfied in our life and less dissatisfied and complaining. McNeil Jordan thought so too. McNeil Jordan was born in Barbados on Christmas Day to parents coincidentally named Mary and Joseph. So when McNeil Jordan turned a hundred years old, in 2002, the media showed up, got a lot of attention. This hundred-year-old man was vibrant and filled with joy. He radiated during the interviews. 
he could still recite poetry and entire chapters of Scripture. The reporters said, Mr. Jordan, what's your secret for longevity? And what's your secret to a good and happy and joyful life? Here was his answer, I quote, I eat well. I sleep well. I walk quite a bit. And I go to church. Here's uh, unquote for a moment. Here's what got my attention when I heard him. I give God praise every day. That's all. That's my life. The Lord doesn't provide all I want, but He provides all I need. My life is a testimony to Him. That's the heart of this psalm. That's a man who's worshiping all day, every day. He has a joy-filled life. Three tips for worship. Worship beyond the walls. Worship with music. Worship enthusiastically. Then the psalm moves on and gives us three great reasons to praise God. Verse 4, we already read, started calling our attention to God's good works. It just continues in verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. We need, I'm convinced, to take more time noticing God's good works. Now, I already talked about noticing the things He does for us during the day, those little good things, those little good gifts. But to take more time to notice God's works outside of ourselves. To spend time, one of the great values why we just finished up a week of youth camp and last month a week of children's camp. One of the reasons that we think camps are so vital is we get ourselves out of our daily stuff and out of the city and get ourselves into the wild, into God's creation, where we notice there's a sky up there. I can actually see stars. And the more we look at God's creation, we realize we serve a good God who does great stuff, big stuff. Notice God's works in creation. Notice not only God's works in creation, look at God's works, marvelous works through history. Look at God's work in the lives of people. Look at God's good works in the world around us today. We live in a world with lots of rotten stuff, don't we? But God is doing great things in this world today. It takes work to find the good news, but it's there. Notice God's good works. The reality is, of course, sometimes it's hard to see the good works because we're so consumed with all the bad stuff. We see the rotten stuff around us. And this world is filled with rotten stuff. There are wars. There's natural disasters. There's personal disasters that happen. You got cancer. A loved one dies. Your retirement just took a big hit with inflation or stock market declines. Someone spreading lies about you, vicious lies about you. We live in a there are rotten things that go on. Where are God's good works in a world like that, we say? Well, 
Number one, depends on where you look. It takes effort to notice the good things. But secondly, it's interesting. The scriptures never pretend to answer all our questions about all those bad things going on. Where's, where's God's goodness when we look at this or we look at that? The scripture doesn't answer all our questions, but it doesn't leave them unanswered, if that makes any sense. The book of Job, of course, is probably the best example. The book of Job, you know the story. He's sitting there suffering and uh, he's, he's just trying to survive. And all his friends are trying to figure out why he's suffering. And it's all Job's fault. And Job is, no, 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 no. Finally, God speaks. And you keep, oh, this is going to be good. God's finally going to explain why all this happened. What God is doing. And you remember God's answer? Hey, Job, do you know? No. Hey, Job, were you there? No. Hey, Job, do you know? No. Hey, Job, what about? I don't know. Job, and God keeps asking all these questions. And the answers to all of it is, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. The answer to why this is going on is, Job, this is above your pay grade. And so it is with so many things. And so this psalm says this, your thoughts are very deep. See, the reality is, God, there's so much I don't understand, but it's above my pay grade. And I'm just going to leave it in your hands. What, we, what it's calling us to understand is that God is good. God is faithful. God is great. God is loving. And everything that He does and everything that He allows is rooted in His wisdom, which is very deep. It's wisdom that we cannot understand on this side of eternity. It's only on the other side of eternity that we're going to spend eternity looking and going back at history and go, oh! Oh, I get it now. I see how that and this and these, all these things you put together. God, you are amazing. It is all this beautiful masterpiece that will declare eternally God's glory and His goodness. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 11, where he says that, Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. The first great reason to worship God is because God's works are good. We worship God for His good works. Verse 6, it says, The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. And we go, great. I can't understand this. I can't appreciate it. That's not what he's saying. The stupid man here is not the low IQ person. It's not the, the person who is mentally challenged. The stupid person here, the fool, is the person who deliberately ignores God, the person who deliberately rejects God, who willfully turns from God. This person, he says, cannot understand God's wisdom. And this world is filled with people like that. Verse 7, though the wicked sprout like grass, they grow up everywhere. And all evildoers flourish. They are doomed to destruction forever. These wicked folks sprout up in great numbers. And just like grass in the spring, it sprouts up all green and looking wonderful. And we have great promise for a beautiful yard. And then comes July. And it's 185 outside. And there hasn't been rain in, you know, 
It rained a week ago, but it evaporated before it hit the ground, you know, kind of thing. And the grass is withering and dying. He says, that's the fool. That's the wicked. They mistake God's patience for powerlessness. They think God doesn't care or they think God doesn't exist. And they think that they are winning. But the scripture says that don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. The wicked are going to give account to God. The second great reason to praise God is because of God's justice. Verse 8, But you, O Lord, are on high forever. You are always in charge. Behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. There is good news here, brothers and sisters, because we hate the evil in this world. And we keep wondering, when will justice be served? When will the murderers and the rapists and the child molesters and the evil people of these world, when will they be held accountable? The day is coming, he says, when the wicked will be judged. And so we praise God because of God's justice. There's good news here. There's also bad news because then after we start thinking about all that, we realize, wait, who is the guilty person? It's not just the rapist and the murderer and the child molester. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And I realize that every one of us are a sinner and every one of us fall under God's judgment. We are condemned. So there's bad news here. But then there's good news here. Fortunately, when we go to the rest of Scripture, we see that God in His grace and God in His love has made a way for us to escape judgment. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's good news. It's my hope that anyone here, anyone listening, watching this morning that you have realized that you're a sinner who, who needs rescue and that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the second big reason to worship God is for His justice and also for His mercy. Third big reason to praise God, we find it in verses 10 through 15, the end of the psalm. But you have exalted my horn Like that of the wild ox, you have poured over me fresh oil. And we go, wow, I think I'm going to make that my life first. I have no idea what it means. What he's saying here is this. God and the rest of these verses are saying, speaking of God's care for his people. God cares for his people. And here he's speaking how he preserves them. He goes on, verse 11, we find out that the one who wrote this psalm, he had a problem. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ear has have heard the doom of my evil assailants. They were in a horrible situation. They were in a mess and God rescued them. And their enemies were destroyed and they were rescued. Here's the point. That exalted horn speaks of how God has given him strength. And that poured oils over him, that just sounds weird to us and sounds, actually we'd hit somebody if they did that. You come up and pour oil over me, I'm going to turn around and smack you. But in that day it worked. In that day that was a, that was a refreshing thing. In that day it was a sign of honor and of blessing. And here's the point in these verses. God never says we won't suffer as His followers. 
Matter of fact, we will, even as the songwriter did. The saying that God is always, he promises in Scripture always to be with us. And that God sustains us through our difficult times. He strengthens us. And God will use it for good. He's going to turn it into a blessing in this life or the next. God is going to work it for our good. And He's going to honor our faithfulness. Not only does God preserve His people as He cares for them, but He prospers them. Look at the next verses. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of God and they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age and they are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. In contrast to the wicked people who are like grass and are headed for judgment, those who are the worshipers, those who love God, those who have their, put their faith and trust in him, they are his people. And God cares for His people and He compares them here to trees, to evergreen trees, the cedar and the palm trees, always green. And He says they grow up in the Lord's courts, in a courtyard, in a, in a Mideast house. He said they were, they were square, kind of, the house was always in a square and there's a central courtyard. And a tree grows up there and it's nurtured and taken care of. It's protected from the harsh winds, the hot winds. The, it gets a little bit of shade in the afternoon and it, and it gets taken care of. That little tree, it sprouts and it grows and flourishes there. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it actually provides great blessing to the house as it provides shade and it provides fruit and it provides oil and, it's, and wonderful things. And he says, that's like the people of God. When you come into God's household, he looks over you and He cares for you and He's always watching for you and helping you to flourish. And you see, the point isn't that as a believer, as a follower in Christ, that, that life is always going to be easy or that, it's, that you're always going to have, you know, your car will always work and your, your, uh, your pantry will never be empty and, and uh, it you know, your house will always be cool. He's saying, no. But the one who follows him has a good quality of life. Even in the midst of difficulty, there is great quality. Life with Jesus is always better than life without Jesus. That's the point. Amen. And that the rewards for following him are both here and now and forever. Jesus said in John 10, I've come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly to the full. We're out of time. Two closing encouragements from this. From this little illustration of the trees and the house. What I realize is he says that these trees, he says, even in their old age, they're full of sap. You guys are just old saps. <laughs> Got a church full of old sappy people. What that means is, they got life in them. <laughs> Here's the point. Living life as one who lives this life of worship, of life, one who loves this life committed to following Christ, it's a life that is productive to the end. It's a life that has value to the end. So brothers and sisters, those of you, those of us who are older, remember, keep serving the Lord. Don't quit. Don't retire. 
We need our mature saints to serve. We need our mature saints to work and to pray. We need especially our mature saints to teach, to disciple, to mentor, to encourage, to love on, to assist our younger brothers and sisters. Those of you who count yourself among the younger brothers and sisters, here's one last encouragement. This is for you. There's great value to sitting in the shade of some of the older, more mature trees. To eat of the fruits of their wisdom that come from longevity. Come from faithfully serving Christ. I think that's one of the great tragedies in many modern churches. We've kind of segregated at times into young churches and old churches. And God has designed for us to be together because we need each other. So young folks, remember life is a marathon. The Christian life is a marathon. It's a race, but it's a long one. And the way to win is to learn from the winners. I learned that from my college roommate. I've mentioned him before. Marathon, world-class runner. He says you learn from the winners. Study them. The ones who win in life, when you look right at the end of life, You know, I have yet to meet somebody who says at the end of life, when they're knocking on the door of death, I've yet to meet someone who says, you know, I wish I'd walked away from Christ when I was young and kept going. I have met plenty of people who knocking on the the end of life have said, I wish I'd come to Christ sooner. I wish I hadn't wasted time. I wish I'd lived more fully for Jesus. The ones who win at the end are the ones who who have been walking with Christ running with Christ. Learn from them, young folks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm. It's telling us how to have the joy of worship fill our lives. How we need to learn that. How we need to put it into practice. That we worship daily. That we incorporate music in our life. And that we be enthusiastic. Father, we be folks who remember your good works and love your justice and so greatly appreciate your care. And in so doing, we find our lives dramatically changed and dramatically blessed. Thank you for this good gift of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.